Well, Lord willing, over the next four weeks, we plan to walk through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and to hear their different accounts of the Christmas story. And it may interest you to know that actually only two of the gospel writers even give an account of Jesus' birth. And so the other writers begin in a different way, and and part of that is intentional, to show us some different things that we might normally miss. And so, again, Lord willing, the next four weeks we're going to spend time. And so this morning we're going to begin in Matthew And walking through Matthew, kind of a big overview, so we're not going to zoom in a ton on details in Matthew, but we're going to walk with Matthew. And what's interesting about Matthew is is he has this ongoing theme that he continually just kind of brings up. He he tells five different accounts about Jesus' birth, five different little small snippets about what happened around the birth of Christ. And in each of those stories, he connects them with one simple word, and that word is fulfillment. Fulfillment. Fulfillment is the achievement of something that's either desired, promised, or predicted. And so specifically today, as we walk through the text, we're going to see Jesus' fulfillment of all of these Old Testament passages. These things that were promised or predicted years before. And speaking of years before, I think that's part of what makes Matthew's gospel interesting. Is that if we walk with Matthew's gospel, right... If you turn to the left of Matthew's gospel, you're going to find the book of Malachi. Malachi writes in somewhere about the period of 460 B.C. Jesus isn't born until roughly, estimates are, 4 to 5 B.C. So you have 400 plus years of waiting. 400 plus years of silence. 400 plus years of seeing, God, where are you and what are you doing After 400 long years, the people are waiting in this darkness for God to come. And the temptation for them is the same as it is for us. The temptation in the darkness of our lives, the hard points, the low valleys, it's to give up hope. It's to stop trusting that God is actually good. That you can trust Him, that you can rely upon Him, that you can actually believe in Him. And Matthew comes and he writes to this Jewish audience and us as believers saying to us in the midst of our darkness, guys, I want you to know this, God is faithful. God is faithful. And God's faithfulness is most clearly expressed through the fulfillment of Christ coming. So Matthew writes and He's going to tell these five different stories, all of them about fulfillment. And as he does, he begins to uncover for us who this Jesus is, who this God's son is. We learn that he's Emmanuel, that he's the Messiah, the anointed one, that he's God's son, that he is our hope. And then strangely, Matthew ends by telling us that he is despised. And so let's look this morning And we find that faithfulness through fulfillment. We find that our God is faithful in doing what He has always promised to do. And sometimes the darkness and the hard moments of our lives can get our focus off. It can cause our hearts and our minds to believe that God actually isn't faithful. And Matthew writes and says, guys, our God is faithful. Look at me if you would, beginning in Matthew chapter 1. Let's pick up with verse 18. And we see this first truth. That Jesus' birth fulfillment shows us that he is Emmanuel. Jesus' birth, this fulfillment of his birth, his coming, shows us, Matthew says, that he is the Emmanuel who was to come. Look what he says, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So here's kind of what happens, right? So you have to understand, they have what's called a betrothal period. During the betrothal period in that day and time, they are legally married, although they do not live together and they're not intimate. Right. Part of this was intentional, right, because there was a bride price that was paid and there was wanting to be some validation that this woman wasn't already pregnant by someone else. So that year of time gave way a waiting period to prove that validity. Right. And so during this time, guess what? Mary shows up. She's pregnant and she's got the old the old story that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Right. It's not some other guy. Joseph's not buying that. Right. And so he's a righteous man. He desires to not put her shame her publicly, but he's going to divorce her. And as Joseph is contemplating this, watch what happens in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from what church? The Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. God saves. Yahweh saves, right? Look what it says. All this, verse 22, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew, right, interprets for us. What does it mean that Jesus is born of a virgin, right? What does this mean that his name is Jesus, this God saves or Yahweh saves, an Old Testament name of God, right? What does this imply? Matthew says, look what he says in verse 22, all this took place, and the reason why, he says, is to fulfill, right? There's fulfillment. This is what Matthew is going to continue to say five different times, five different stories, five different phrases, kind of like this. This took place to fulfill what was written by the prophet. What prophet? The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, was this promise, right, that, that God was going to send, and the virgin would have a child, and they would name his name Emmanuel. Now, it's interesting, right? And there's all kinds of speculation about what was exactly Isaiah saying and who was born, right, during this time period. And there's division on that. But I think maybe one of the ways of helping us is is maybe to think about a mountain range, right? I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity where you were traveling and, and you saw a great mountain range at a distance, right? And you take it in and you can see a lot of times, right, the scope of that mountain from one end to the other and, and you see it. But man, as you travel further, especially if it's a large mountain, it, it could take you even hours to get closer and closer. And as you get closer, man, and you begin to see this mountain, you begin to see the grandeur of it, right? The magnitude of this mountain, you realize, man, this baby is huge. Like, whoa, I did not realize this was what was actually here. Now, listen, the closer view doesn't mean that the view you had from far away wasn't real. But it just tells us that it wasn't complete. Like, you know what? We see it from a distance. We, we think certain things. But as we come closer to it, man, it's then that we see that this mountain, it's huge. The majesty of it, the magnitude of it. So it is with prophecy. Right at times when as the Old Testament prophets write, we see things at a distance and we, we recognize them and, and we're trying to interpret what does that mean for that day and time. But as we come to the New Testament, so often the writers show us, hey, listen, I want you to know that this prophecy that was written in that day and time, as we come close, it actually shows us who Jesus is. It points to him. It has a greater and fuller fulfillment. And so Jesus, throughout different points, is going to remind his disciples, guys, listen, everything that was written about Moses and the prophets, 
It all pointed to me. And so here it is, Matthew using that statement, all this took place, fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. But we might wonder, well, what does this fulfillment even mean? Well, he tells us, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? It's this moment of hope, right, of, of what we've been waiting for. It says literally, Emmanuel means God with us. Right? That's the hope that we've had. Now, now, if you think back in Scripture, right, this is what they've been waiting for. Back in the beginning, God in the garden put Adam and Eve there, the first people, right? And they were created to live in the presence of God, to know Him, to worship Him. But soon sin came. And sin broke that relationship. It distorted relationship not only with God, but with one another. And so there's this brokenness. And throughout the Old Testament, we have these moments in which God is continuing to pursue His broken people. His presence among them at times is like a, a pillar of fire at night or a cloud by day. We have moments when the presence of God, like Moses on the mountain, and the mountain is shaking and quaking to indicate the power and the presence of God being there. We have moments when they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the holiness of God is with them. And then we have Solomon and his temple, and into that presence comes the Holy of Holies. It representing the presence of God. But this is different. This is now the presence of God in a different way, a way that can't even begin to think or imagine. He says that it's Emmanuel, which means God what? God with us. Isn't that good news? It's not God without us or God against us, but God with us. Consider that for a moment. Not God against us. It's not God, hey, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to just be without you for eternity. No, this is God with us. And this should give us hope. Why? Because, guys, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you don't have to go to a special mountain to find God. You, you aren't trying to travel to Jerusalem and, and find some temple and get in there and, and find who the true God is. You don't have to go exploring or splunking some caves and who knows where, hoping that you might find the Ark of the Covenant or some great relic that you could find to get close to God. No, this is the good news of the gospel, that in the birth of Christ, God came to you. And the Bible tells us, for those who repent and believe upon God, that Emmanuel comes to indwell and live inside of us. It's the hope of the gospel. And so Matthew here writes and tells us that. So I want this, hearing that statement, all this took place fulfilled, was written by the prophet, and the virgin shall be, shall be with child and conceive, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to encourage you. Maybe that you're dealing with sadness and loneliness. Christmas reminds you of a spouse that is no longer here, or a loved one that's no longer here. Maybe it reminds you of a relationship that broke and things are no longer the same with that person that you care about or that family member. I don't know what it is for you, the sadness and loneliness and wondering what if they were here, what might it look like? I want to encourage you to hear the words of the prophet Isaiah fulfilled in the birth of Christ. That there's a God who desires to be with you. His presence to sustain you and to guide you. That you're not alone. So Matthew writes, and he says this first, this birth, shows us that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. Secondly, Jesus' birth fulfillment shows us that he is the Messiah. So Matthew moves on from this first fulfillment and now comes to a second one. It says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling, notice what he does. He assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, the people who know the Old Testament the best. All right, that, that's what he's, he's bringing them together. He inquires of them where the Christ was to be born, right? So that's the question. Where is this Christ, right? Where is he to be born? And notice what he says. They tell him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, right? So again, now we have this fulfillment right here happening again, right? Now, it's not Matthew, but they're quoting it. For so it is written by the prophet. Again, that similar language. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Right, And so Matthew tells us the story about these different kings coming. In some way, that has fulfillment of passages like Isaiah 60, verse 3. This says, The nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, Brother Todd, in a few weeks, Lord willing, he'll, he'll be there in Luke. And as he walks through Luke, you're going to hear about how did Mary and Joseph actually end up in Bethlehem. But that's not Matthew's purpose. Luke kind of handles some of the details, but Matthew just wants to deal with why. Why is Jesus in Bethlehem? Why is he born in Bethlehem? And Matthew says to us, because it was to fulfill what was written by the prophets. And the prophets declared, right? Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that this son would be born in Bethlehem. Guess what? You know who else was born in Bethlehem? Another unlikely person from an unlikely place who becomes an unlikely king, David. David is the long-awaited and anointed Messiah, right, that the people believe is coming a new David, a greater David. And they're looking and waiting for the day, and so they know that this new coming king must be born in Bethlehem. And so when the question is asked, hey guys, where's the, where's the Christ, where's the Messiah, the anointed one, where is to be born? They all know. It's in Bethlehem, right, because that's what the prophets have predicted, right? That's what has been written. And so again, this reminder of the hope. And, and so the story comes and it says Jesus is born there in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is interesting, right? Bethlehem is this seemingly forgotten, overlooked place. Like, I mean, and we're going to come in a moment to Jesus being in Nazareth, right? Which is maybe even more scandalous. But I, maybe it's an encouragement to you of Jesus being born in Bethlehem in this forgotten and overlooked place. Because maybe some of you deal with that. You feel forgotten and overlooked. Maybe it's in a family that you grew up in. Maybe you had another sibling or others that were just, man, they were academically or athletically or whatever, man, they, or they just always got it right. You seem to always just get it wrong. Maybe you feel overlooked or forgotten when it comes to school or athletics and things you compete in. You just always seem to find yourself at the end of the bench. Maybe when it came to jobs and opportunities, man, there just seemed great doors open before you, but seemingly everyone just closed in your face. When it came time for relationships and things in life, you just thought it would go perfectly. And man, things just haven't unfolded like you thought. And you just, if you were honest, you feel a little bit like you've been forgotten. A little bit like you're overlooked, maybe. Maybe you're at a place in life right now that you should be doing certain things as compared to other friends and people you graduated with and on and that. And, and man, you just look around at your life and it doesn't look like theirs. And you feel pressure from maybe family and others. Maybe it's just a reminder. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, an overlooked and forgotten place. And maybe it's a reminder to you, God can raise you up out of Bethlehem. That God sees you right now, even though others may be overlooking you and forgetting you, and your life feels like, man, it's just one misstep after another. I want to encourage you this Christmas 
There's a God who sees you. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who sent his son to a place that was overlooked and forgotten. Why? Because God delights in raising up the least of these. And it's the good news of the gospel. Matthew's now two fulfillments have passed. Three more are still to come. And so Matthew's third story is is one that picks up in verse 13. And he shows us here that Jesus' birth fulfillment shows us that he is actually God's son. Now, we we didn't read the story there, but the Magi, they go and they find Jesus there at the house. And it says that they bow down and they worship him and they open their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they're warned, right, not to return back to Herod. And so they leave by another route. And now Matthew picks up in verse 13 and begins to unfold the story for us further. Now, when they had departed, speaking of the wise men, verse 13 of Matthew 2, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and he remained there until the death of Herod. This, notice what happens here again, Matthew says, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. There again is that word fulfillment. Third story, third fulfillment. And notice what the statement is. Out of Egypt, I called my son. All right. And so, again, we have this moment. The angel came and warned Joseph. Joseph, I want you to know Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so Joseph, verse 13, hears this. In verse 14, they pack up, they leave Bethlehem, and they head out to Egypt. Immediately, right, Matthew says to us, guys, this isn't an accident, right? This isn't like Joseph's like, hey, road trip. No, this is like fulfillment, Matthew says, that he is going to Egypt and he will be called out of Egypt. Notice what he says. This is what the prophet had said. Out of Egypt I called my son. These are the words of Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Hosea in that day and time spoke about the people of Israel who were in Babylonian captivity. Right? Back to Egyptian times right and and he uses this analogy right to tell them now as you guys are in babylonian captivity don't forget how faithful god was and just like god called them out of egypt so god's going to call us out of babylon and send us back to jerusalem and he says listen i want you to know that this moment is a reminder that out of egypt notice what he says here i called what do you see it i called my son God often speaks of Israel as his son. And now that Jesus shows up, Matthew says, guess what? In a similar way, God's going to call out his true son, the son, only son of God. And he's saying to us, guys, I want you to know that Jesus is the true and perfect Israel. He's the Israel that is from above, that has come down, and he is God's son. Consider now for a moment all that Matthew's trying to show us. Jesus' virgin birth proves that he's actually God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel. He says that Jesus, right, is the Messiah as he reenacts being delivered out of Egypt here. And we know that he's born in the one place, right, the Messiah had to be born, Bethlehem. Matthew's going over and over to say, guys, right, as he writes to an audience, again, who's been waiting 400 plus years to say to them, guys, this is who you've been waiting for. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, guess what? We didn't even walk through verses 1 to 17. What's he do there? He gives Jesus a genealogy to say that Jesus is actually a son of Abraham, that he's the one that, guess what? God promised that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. They've been waiting for one, a descendant of Abraham. But not only that, they've been waiting for a descendant of David. And Matthew says throughout Matthew chapter 1, guess what? He's got the pedigree. He's from the the tribe, right? The descendant of David. 
right? He's from the right tribe. He's from the right people. Jesus is the promised one. Matthew says to a people who are in darkness and waiting, who maybe are discouraged and frustrated that God hasn't acted sooner on their behalf. And he says to them, guys, God is faithful. God is faithful. And you can see it most clearly in the birth of Christ. God's faithfulness is shown in in passages like John chapter 1, when Philip, he goes to find Nathanael, and he says to him in verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Notice what, what Philip says. He doesn't say, hey man, dude, surprise, can you believe it? God actually sent one. No, he says, we have found him. Listen, they've been waiting. They knew, guys, at some point, our God is faithful. It may not happen today. It may not be tomorrow. But our God is faithful. And Matthew is just showing us all these fulfillments, all these details, right? They can feel like, man, Matthew, just get on with the story already. But the details are important. Details to these people remind them of God seeing them, that they're not forgotten That you're not forsaken. God is faithful to them. Today, no matter what you're going through, know that God is faithful. Let the story of Christ's coming be a reminder to you. God sees you. Our God is faithful. As we said before, God's delays are not God's denials. It can be hard when God doesn't act or do what we think He should do in the time frame we think He should do it. Guys, our God is faithful. We can trust Him. So Matthew tells us. He's given us three fulfillments and now the fourth. In the fourth, we hear that Jesus' birth fulfillment shows us that He is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Look what happens, verse 16. Verse 16 through 18 is messy. Look what happens. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. That's what Matthew says, right? Even the killing of all these, the massacre. That's what he says. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod believes that this threat, right, is a real threat. And so he sends and has his soldiers go out, right? Estimates are, well, we're not necessarily sure, but Bethlehem probably wasn't a large place. And estimates are that maybe 10 to 30 boys in this age range would have been there at that time. But can you imagine if that would have been you or your family? If that was your nephew, your grandson. It's a hard moment. We know that by God's grace, right, the angel has warned Joseph and and. He and Mary and Jesus have now headed out and and they've escaped this coming punishment. But Matthew says to us, guys, this evil act from this sinful decision, right? Notice what Matthew says to us. Verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Isn't that encouraging? That God can take the greatest evil, the most heinous of acts, the acts of, of evil toward children, heinous evil. God can take it and use it for good. Let that be an encouragement to you, right? I mean, it's what he says. The prophet Jeremiah's words are fulfilled in this moment. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. So Rachel, this, this matriarch of the, of the Jewish people, 
right, who represents so many of the Jewish people, this mother of the faith, says it represents her weeping for her children. Why? Back when they were in Babylonian captivity, right, as the prophet Jeremiah writes, there's, it's symbolic, Rachel there weeping. Why? Because she sees them going off into captivity. She is refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now he says, listen, that has its ultimate fulfillment in the coming of Christ and this killing of the innocents, this slaughter of the innocents. But even in Jeremiah 31, there's hope. Because this quote here from verse 15, two verses later, verse 17, listen to what Jeremiah says. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. Jeremiah says that even in the midst of captivity and exile, there is hope for your future. Why? Because your God is faithful. You see, guys, hope hope is not denial. Hope is not like pretending that we don't ever suffer or there's not real sorrow in our lives. Yet despite those things, even in those things, hope is the expectation that something better is coming. That there's something new on the horizon. Something that's going to come and happen and bring us hope, bring us joy. And guys, if God can bring out a captivity and the slaughter of children, good things, out of this He can bring good, then what can He bring good out of your family? In the situation that you find yourself in, it seems impossible. How might God bring good out of it? It's a familiar carol we sing at this time of year, right? Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. But the reality is we have more connection to that song than maybe we first realize. Right? Because the writer goes on to say that in, on lonely, in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appears. Guys, the truth is, as Peter writes, that we are exiles here. That this is not our home. This is not where God created us for, to live in a place of brokenness and sin. And so we, as Israel did in the captivity and exile, we cry out, God, would you come? Would you bring hope? Would you deliver us? And just as he came the first time, the writers of the New Testament are clear. He is coming again. We are to hope and to continue to put our trust in him. But that can be hard, right? I mean, sorrow plasters our headlines daily. Death and disease, the sickbed strikes those of our family and friends that we love. But there is hope that one day our sorrow will come to singing. That one day sighing will cease. That what we are experiencing now is temporary and it won't last forever. Guys, we have hope. Herod couldn't kill him. The grave couldn't hold him. Our God is coming again. And so Matthew writes and he says to them, listen guys, there's fulfillment after fulfillment saying, don't miss it. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Now, yes, it's going to be costly to believe this, but guys, it'll cost you even more to reject it. You are rejecting the one true Messiah, the only hope of salvation. And so Matthew finishes with his fifth and last story about Jesus' birth. And this one seems strange in some ways. Because it's it's a fulfillment of being despised and rejected. Look what happens. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city. Notice where he goes to live. Nazareth. So that, right? The 
He answers, why? Why would he do that? Why would he go to live in Nazareth so that, again, the statement, what was spoken by the prophets might be what? Fulfilled. That he would be called a Nazarene. Right? So five different stories, five different fulfillments, right? And now he goes to live in Nazareth. I've got to be honest with you, there's no direct Old Testament prophecy. You can look, maybe you have a study Bible. There's no direct Old Testament prophecy that says anything about that Jesus had to live in Nazareth. But it appears that maybe he's building on the fact that Jesus is a man, as Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering ser- servant. He's a man who's despised and we esteemed him not. He said he was a man like whom men would hide their faces from. And so he writes here to say that Jesus comes from a despised place. He lives in a place that is despised. And we might ask, why would God send his son there? But it's out of Nazareth that God raises up his son. God delights in raising up the despised, the overlooked, the forgotten. You see, Matthew chapter 1 was favorable, right? Things seem to go well throughout the story. But you come to Matthew chapter 2 and things change, right? We have Mary and Joseph and Jesus fleeing off to Egypt. We have the death of, of the children, the slaughter of the innocents there in Bethlehem. And now we have Jesus going to Nazareth. There's this seemingly picking up theme to say that Jesus is going to be a man who's going to be despised, a man who's going to often be rejected, a man, you might even say, like a man on the run. It's throughout this gospel that, guess what, Matthew's starting to prepare you and I to walk through the gospel of Matthew to say, guess what, our Savior is going to be rejected and despised. And if you follow him, you will too. You'll be despised. You'll be rejected. Maybe laughed at among your family, maybe your friends, like, what, dude? You see, if you hold fast to these scriptures, you probably won't find yourself in cahoots with a lot of people in our society. You probably won't get many likes on social media. You see, the reality is Jesus was a man who was despised and rejected. And so we as believers should prepare ourselves as we follow him that we ourselves are going to experience life of being despised and rejected. But there's hope. Why? Because throughout this reminder, Matthew keeps saying, guys, God is faithful. Right? 400 years they spent waiting for the Messiah to come. And Matthew says to them five different times, he says to us five different times, seemingly this course, God is faithful. 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 Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe the darkness has blinded your eyes to it. The sorrow that is in your heart, man, it's just, you want to believe it. You want to hope in it today, but it's crushing you. Matthew writes to a people, right, who are suffering and oppressed to say to them, God is faithful. Today, maybe you've lost hope. The darkness and the waiting has been too much. Maybe you're in a season where you just wish God would hurry up. You ever had those moments, right? Kind of like kids, like, are we what? Are we there yet? Right? Maybe sometimes my sermons feel that, like, are we there yet, bro? Is it there yet? Right, but we want to hurry up God, don't we? Like, hurry up God and heal my family member. Hurry up God, heal my child. God, hurry up and save that person that I love. God, hurry up and provide for me a spouse. God, hurry up and give us children. God, hurry up with that job. God, hurry up and give me some direction on my future. But today's text reminds us, that no matter what we may say or do, we can't hurry God. And so the call is for us to be faithful. To trust in Him who is faithful. Who is good. That He will hold us fast. Maybe today you're here and 
you're struggling because you hear about this God of faithfulness and this God of hope, but the reality is you know that your life is really more about unfaithfulness. Your life is one of struggle and brokenness. One where you often know the right you should do and you don't do it. Often the very things that you don't want to do, you find yourself doing. If that's you, then join with me because that's me too. And to remember and remind ourselves the good news that there's a God who is faithful and he loves unfaithful people. I know we sing that song, Oh, come all ye faithful, right? I'm thankful for that as we realize our true identity in Christ. But let us never forget that the song also sings to us, Come, all ye unfaithful. Come, experience grace and mercy. No, you haven't earned or deserved it, and you never will. It's the good news of the gospel. that There's a God who sees us in the midst of our darkness and our sorrow, the moments in which we haven't got it right. What do you have to bring? The truth is, guess what? You and I have nothing to bring. We have no offering to offer, but guess what? There is an offering. He is our offering. It's his perfect life in our place. It's his perfect faithfulness that represents us before God. So today, maybe you're here and you realize, man, I'm pretty unfaithful. I've made a big blunder of a lot of areas of my life. Might this faithfulness of God say to you, I love to come to people who are unfaithful. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need rest? Are you weary? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? Maybe the reality is you're trying to be God. You're trying to know everything, be everywhere, have all power and authority, make everything happen. And you can't fix it for you. You can't fix it for your grandkids. You can't fix it for your children. You can't fix it for the community. You're not God and it will exhaust you. But the good news is there's a God who is faithful that, beloved, if we come to him, we can trust and look to him that in his perfect timing, he will do what is good. As the the words in Genesis say, will the king of all the earth not do what is right? Church, this text says to us, our God is faithful. We can trust him. We can anchor in him. And when we find ourselves being unfaithful, let us remember that there's a God who sent his son for us in the midst of our sin. That while we were still sinners, Romans 5 and 8 says, Christ died for us. There's a God who loves unfaithful people. And when we come to him, he transforms us to live a life of faithfulness and holiness. It is the good news of the gospel. Matthew says time and time again through these fulfillments, God is faithful. Today, maybe you just need to read it. Go home, reread it, remind yourself, my God is faithful. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you are unlike us, that you are perfect in faithfulness and holiness. Thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you for the rescue from our sin and our shame and our bondage. I pray now, God, thank you that we can come to you even when we are unfaithful. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. Thank you, God, that we can hope and trust in you. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.